we're going to talk about a topic that is uh, quite uh, sensitive, uh, especially as things are heating up and uh, aiming toward two, uh, 2020. Uh, and that topic is government. Now, you can take a deep breath of, of relief. I do not use this platform as a means to communicate my personal political view. I believe that we are here to grow spiritually, and so this is not uh, on one side of the aisle or the other. I, like many of you, have a personal view. That doesn't mean I have a personal view. It doesn't mean I feel strongly about the personal view. It doesn't mean that I'm not, uh, uh, that I don't uh, encourage every American citizen to vote and participate in the process of uh, democracy and representative uh, government and, uh, and to hold strongly to, to, what, to, to what you believe and, and uh, certain things. But that's not what we're going to talk about today, so you can, you can relax. But I do believe that in our culture, as we are talking about authority, that we cannot skip over this topic. It'd be easy to and just uh, talk about other things, but there is a, there's a certain sense uh, when we bring up the topic of government that is not often found on either side of the aisle or, or uh, on the media, and that is respect and honor and prayer. And so we begin today, before we get to the book of Daniel, just to set up a few, uh, a few uh, framework, uh, a, a few sides of the frame to, to engage our mind in how we should be, how should we react as Christians in a world of uh, a government, especially amplified by the media. Wherever I go in the world, by the way, this is an issue. And it's much more of an issue in, in other parts of the world than it even is here. Uh, there was just, uh, we were just in the Ukraine and, and there was a critical election and the person that was elected was not necessarily as favorable toward Christians as the previous one. And I asked the other believer, I asked believers there, like, how does this impact you? And they said, it impacts us zero because our kingdom is not of this world. And that perspective is very, very important. We begin by just framing a few uh, scripture passages that may be surprising to you. Romans chapter 13 and verse 5. It is necessary, not just recommend it, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, that's a good reason, but also because of conscience. Our inner thoughts, that if we're always barking about one side of the aisle or the other, and that becomes our vocabulary, then our conscience begins to be bothered. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Now, I want you to think of the political person that you don't care for the most and understand that they are God's servants because the Bible says that God has placed kings in place. God has put all, in other words, God hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel. And even though there are differing views and things that are said and lots of barking going back and forth, there is a bigger picture to be understood here. In Titus chapter three, verse one, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities. I want you to remind yourself of the context in which this was written. This was written when the government was brutally against Christians and burned them on stakes and killed them. 
And yet, uh, we're being told in the context to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, watch this, and to slander no one. Am I saying that, is the Bible saying that we shouldn't have a political view? No, it's not saying that at all. But the, but the moment that we're saying our president is a moron or Nancy Pelosi is a you know, fill-in-the-blank or whatever, you know, whatever side of the aisle you're going to fall in, now it's slanderous and we're beyond a political point of view. And this is difficult, isn't it? Because when our emotions get involved and we have a strong opinion on how th- things should be run, then it becomes very personal. And when it becomes personal, it begins to eat at our soul and our conscience. And when it becomes to, uh, to the point where it's infiltrating our conscience, then we can't be effective for the kingdom of God. And we're on the earth for the kingdom of God, not for a political kingdom. Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, and to be peaceable and considerate and to show humility toward all men. Doesn't line up with many Facebook posts I see, by the way. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. These are powerful words, aren't they? This is a topic like, whoa, is that, that's a little too hot to touch. And yet when I look at the scriptures and I see those men and women who've been caught in a political quagmire like uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, what you don't see him doing is fighting against the government but rooting for the kingdom of God. He never said, hey, this is right, this behavior is right, hey, what their, their, be, uh, their actions are, are perfectly aligned. You don't see that but you also don't see a lifetime of energy in complaining about it. Should we make change in our government, our society? Sure, but we do it in a respectful and an honorable way, a way that is peaceable. When you look at the great movements across history, when you look at even in our own recent history, it was Martin Luther King Jr. that changed, that turned our culture upside down and began to move. We're not there completely, but began to move this country in a direction by a peaceable voicing without violence. And we're reminded that this is how God has called us to act. To, to act. I want, you, I want to remind us of David who stood in a cave, King David who stood in a cave, and the king who was, was chasing him, pursuing him to kill him. You might remember that, you know, the Bible is real, that the, the King Saul, that was his name, came into the cave to relieve himself, to be honest with you. And uh, yes, that happens with human beings in the Bible. That's okay. It's not unsacred. And David was there hiding with his uh, men, and he had the opportunity to sneak up behind him and most likely behead him. And yet he said, I will not touch the God's anointed, even though this guy wanted to kill him. And the people behind him who were po- in, in the cave who were posting on Facebook said, how come you didn't do it? You had the opportunity. What's wrong with you? And he said, I will not touch God's anointed. 
And so when we look across the, the landscape of Peter and Paul and, and uh, Joseph and David, they're setting an example, not because they didn't want to make a, an impact in the community, but because they understood there was a greater place to put the effort, and that was in the kingdom of God and moving the kingdom of God. And when they were peaceable and when they were honorable and they had a clean conscience toward God, then they were able to make that uh, impact in ways that God was allowed to work. God was allowed to work when they submitted to him. Daniel chapter 1, we, uh, we start there. In fact, before we go there, I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 18 and verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. There were times that they wanted to make him king. There were times right in this moment where uh, there were armies coming to arrest him. He said, my kingdom is not of the world. If it were, my servants right around me would draw their swords and their weapons and they would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Some of you probably are more political than others. No problem with that, by the way. This is not anti-politics. It's, where, it's how we do it, and it's what our main priority is and energy on, on this planet. Now, Daniel chapter 1. This is absolutely fascinating. This is fascinating. So put on your, put on your seat belts and your excitometer. Uh, make sure it's dialed in here. Because there is an arm wrestling match in, the, in, in this book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel uh, is 14 years old. He is the writer of the book. He's 14 years old uh, at, the, at the beginning of where, where we get the, the record of history. Uh, as you know, there came a time in history uh, in the nation of Israel where there were two major empires, the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire that came in and they captured them, they took them, they kidnapped them, so to speak, they, and brought them into exile. And that's what you did in those days. You, you ripped away the people from their home country and moved them out. And yet, this was all part of a, a larger story by God. If you look at it from just a historical point of view, you think, hey, there's just two political entities and, and one was stronger than the other and they went in and took over and, then, and, and you see it from that natural point of view, but there's something supernatural happening. Here we go, verse one of uh, chapter one of the book of Daniel. So we're told uh, what the scenario is. So don't get caught up in all the names. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Okay, this is where Jerusalem, this is the southern part of Israel. And so this is how they dated things. So in the third, there was this king, his name was Jehoiakim, and he was the king of the southern part of Israel. And in this third year of his reign, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. You think, well, wait a minute. I thought... These were the good guys, and God has delivered them into the hands of the Babylonians. You see, God is part of the plot because they needed to learn a lesson. The, the Jewish people needed to learn a lesson and then learn this dependence on God. In other words, it's not a political story here. It's a God story of what was going on. And so uh, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim 
the king of Judah, into, his, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands, along with some of the sacred articles from the temple of God. You're going to notice that they didn't take these sacred articles, which were made of precious uh, uh, elements, and put them on eBay to sell them. It wasn't about the money. It was about the arm wrestling of kingdoms. That's what it was about, spiritual kingdoms. These Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his god in Babylonia, and he put the treasure uh, house of and put it in the treasure house of his God. Not one politic against, politician against another politician, not one nation against another nation, but the sacred things of the God of heaven against the sacred things of the God of this earth. This was a supernatural battle. This was not a political government battle. You understand? All right, I know it's heavy. Stick with it, it's about to get heavier. Verse three. Then the king ordered this guy, his name is Ashpenaz, king of, or chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. They wanted to start with those who were the strongest in society. So Nebuchadnezzar appoints this guy uh, to this chief of, uh, of the court officials, Ashpenaz, he, to say, okay, I want you to go, and the people that we've just captured, I want you to take them away, and I want you to find the brightest and the best. Watch this. From the royal family of nobility. Young men without any physical defect. Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. You're to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Watch what is happening. We're going to take the brightest and the best. And you know who these are? The influencers. You see, discipleship happens in the Christian world, and discipleship happens in the, in, in the uh, world of darkness. That if there can be influence in a culture, in a society, in a negative way over a long period of time with those who will influence others, don't think for a minute that we're talking about a political story here. We are talking about learning the language and learning the, the, the literature and all the ways and the mindset of a culture that worshiped someone other than God. Is this story have your attention yet? If you think for a second that when you look at the TV that it's what you think it is, that there's not a plot that is behind all things and that, that there is a God in heaven who is completely aware and has the authority over all things, then you're missing a whole deal. Then you're just going to get upset with Trump and Pelosi. That's all. It's, all, it's going to go way, way, way down in these unnecessary and silly weeds. Do you understand? And so now God elevates the plot and says, oh no, there's something much greater going on. There is an arm wrestling. Take note that they're 14. They're pliable. These are pliable minds at 14 years old. Our son is 14. We just got his reading material. 
for the summer. It is absolutely, I don't even know what the word is. Yes, it is absolutely stunning what they're asking this boy to read and the topics. So peaceably, we will make an appointment with the school to say, how do we not, how do we get around this because it's filthy? There's a bigger plot than our school or your school or my, you know, our, this parents, and bigger plot here. And it's very, 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 very gradual. Watch this. In Daniel chapter one, verse five, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. These were, this was food, by the way, that was offered to the gods. And they were trained for three years. Think about that. From 14-year-old to 17-year-old, the most, one of the most pliable times in, 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 our, in our life. They were trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. I'm really taken by this because then I think, how many years did Jesus spend with his disciples? Roughly three, a little more. They, 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 there is a sense. We talk about discipleship, and sometimes when I see a discipleship weekend, I'm like, oh, come on. How, how can you do that? Discipleship takes time on both ends. It takes time in a culture, and what's happening in a culture is that over time, things begin to infiltrate under this, the, the authority of government that we respect and peaceably voice, but there's something bigger going on. Are you following? Okay, I know this is heavy. This is not love, joy, peace, and butterflies this morning, but it is so real to where we're living today. All right, now watch. Here, here, here comes the exciting part, because I can tell you're not quite excited yet. In verse six and seven of Daniel chapter one, something happens. And this is where when you read, I invite you to read through the book of Daniel. It's, it, is, it is deep. There are some very mysterious things in the book of Daniel. But I want you to take note of something. And the, the, take notice of this, the change of names. The change of names. Because the names meant something. You remember when Abram, Abraham, his Abram was changed to Abraham. It was a God moment. When Peter's name was, uh, when Cephas's name was changed to Peter, when Sarah's name was Sarai was changed to Sarah, there was a God-infused purpose for these changes. Watch this. Among these from Judah, these fourteen-year-olds, was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshar. Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. These were original names, and I want to put a list of these names, and I want you to see the ending, the last letters of these names if we go to the next slide. Each of these names have E-L or A-H at the end of their names because sometimes the, the, the name was given and Elohim and Yahweh were part of the name when you begin to break it down. And these were God names that were given 
for men, for guys like Daniel, who were called to be the prophet, the spokesperson for the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of Israel. Bigger, bigger plot, okay? And so when you look at Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, God is my judge, God is gracious, who is like our God, God helps. This was the, the, the message that they were called. And so let me read something uh, from a commentary for you. Watch this, if we can go to the next slide. By changing the names of the Hebrew captives, Nebuchadnezzar is showing the world and all the gods of the nations that Marek, Bel, and Nebo, his god, and there was an, there's another god too um, that, that will be mentioned, his gods are the greatest supreme gods of the world. This is not just, hey, I'm going to call you Bob, Frank, and Sam. Those new names had meaning. His gods are the supreme gods of the world. Warfare in the ancient world was seen as a holy war between the gods with, the hu with humans as instruments of the gods. Naming demonstrates ownership and authority, our topic. Adam named the animals, showing that he was Lord over them and had authority over them. Yahweh, God's name, changed Abram's name to Abraham. The peace treaties of the time would always start with the references to the gods of the two parties and the victorious gods naming the submitting gods as his servants. This is why it was referred to as a holy war. Now, what you begin to see now is an arm wrestling of names because the names represented the authority above them. My message to you and me today is let's, in the, in the mix of all things, don't lose your name. In other words, you are a son and a daughter of Christ. Don't, in the mix of all things, lose your conscience and your honorability and your peaceability and all those things, but don't lose our allegiance to Christ who has our, the authority of the overall plot. So no matter what our political view is, our view, is, our worldview is that we are on earth to serve Christ and his kingdom, period. It's like that. Now watch this. I found a mistake in the Bible. Ah, crucify him. I'm just kidding. It's an intentional mistake. Watch this. Daniel is the writer of this book. When they offered him the food and the wine that was offered to other gods, you remember, if you know the story, Daniel said, may I ask permission not to defile myself with that? Why? Because it wasn't you know, the right year of wine? No, it was offered to a God. He understood the big plot. And he said, I want to eat something else. And he did. When there was this sense of, you will not bow to your God, he said, I will. He didn't lose his name through the whole process. He wasn't standing outside with a sign protesting, but inwardly he kept his name. So watch this. If you look at this list of names, if we can go to the next slide... And you see these names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They make no sense in the history of, of the records. 
Because when you look, let's take the last one, Abednego, there was no false god named Nego. It was Nebo. So when these names were issued, these, if we can go to the next slide, this is what it should have been. Belshazzar, which was Nebuchadnezzar's son's name, by the way, which made, because Bel was there, which meant Bel, the false god, protected the king. Hananiah should have been Shadaku, after the god, the, uh, uh, Kanu, uh, Kanu, did I say Kanu? Aku, uh, Mishael to Mishaku, moon god, Azariah to Abednego, and because of the false god Nebo. This would have aligned with all the other names in this culture. Because Belshazzar, you'll see it, turn to chapter three and four, you'll see the, these names. The Belshazzar, you'll see his name. Because when, when you look at the top, for example, Belteshazzar, do you know what Belteshazzar means? That Bel cannot protect the king. Fascinating, right? Now you think, okay, are you sure you're on, on the right track or are you just smoking some kind of Bible stuff here? <laughs> but now you'll see the arm wrestling between these names. So that, because you might say, okay, well, maybe you have to look, you, you can study for yourself. But the names represented the arm wrestling because the names meant authority. Watch this. If you turn over to Daniel chapter 4, the king, king Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he couldn't, he had all the people in his kingdom, all the magicians, everything. They were trying to, you know, f figure, you know, uh, out this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and he got really ticked off, and he's going to kill them all, including Daniel. And Daniel, and Daniel raised his hand, like, hey, got an idea. I, I, I got the. And so he, he says in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 19, this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. So he's speaking to Daniel, but he's using this name. But Daniel's writing this out. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it, but you can because of the spirit of the holy gods in you. He didn't really know how to describe the spirit of God, but he saw a difference in the life of Daniel. I find that fascinating. Now watch this. Daniel writing, and he says, then Daniel also called Belteshazzar. This is how Daniel put it. He did not say, then Belteshazzar, also called Daniel, because his primary name was that God is my judge. And even though you've captured me, even though you've tried to feed me with your food, even though for three years you've tried to brainwash me with your language and your literature, there's a plumb line that I'm not going to change, and my name is Daniel. Excuse me for one second. Woo! <laughs> then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king says, Belteshazzar, notice he didn't call him Daniel. Daniel's calling himself Daniel. The king is calling Daniel Belteshazzar. See the, see the arm wrestling match? happens in a number of places. And Daniel, this little parenthetical, yeah, that's what he calls me, but this is who I am. You see, we live, listen, in the midst of everything around us, we live in a parenthetical mindset. I know all the things that are going on. However, parentheses, I am a child of God. 
on earth, he does has no rival, no equal, that our God has the authority over heaven and earth. It's easier to respect the political party that you don't like when you know that God is writing the script. And you'll lay awake a lot less at night. Oh my gosh, what's happening in this country? Uh, where were we? Jeez. So the king says, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. All right. Watch this now. Daniel chapter 2, verse 26. The king then asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, because it's coming from the king's point of view, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Watch. Daniel replies. Every time he replies, he's, he's Daniel. Every time the king addresses him, he's Belteshazzar. You see it? You're like, I see it, you moron. Don't say it again. All right. <laughs> Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery of what he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven. You see? There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Lots of things happen. Nebuchadnezzar, in, in essence, loses his mind. He comes to this realization that God is who he is. Daniel chapter 4, verse 46. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostate. Brought, did I just say Yes, prostate. Just make sure I didn't get that wrong. Woo! He fell prostrate before who? Before Daniel. It's the first time that Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the real name. We live peaceably, honorably. We serve the king. We love. We show the power of God. And the world around us might say, what is the holy God's inside of you? We say, well, it actually is the Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity for when they see God, they'll say, oh, I see your real name. I get who's your boss. I get who's your real king. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor, ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Then the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of God's and the Lord of kings. Every knee will bow. And a revealer of mysteries, and you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel, not Belteshazzar, in a high position and lavished him with many gifts on him, and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, just like Joseph. And he placed him in charge he also had authority over the entire country of all its wise men. Authority. Would to God we'd have politicians on their knees, and we have some, by the way, on their knees that they could show 
the living God and who their true authority is and see God elevate them to a place of making great change in this country and every country around the world. It is our surrender to Christ. It is our resolve to to serve him because back in the first chapter in Daniel, and we end with this, there is the key in Daniel chapter one and verse eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. How do you live in an amplified political environment? You resolve to not allow the things around us to change your real name. And your real name is Christ follower. Not in a judgmental way, but in a way that others can see God through you and you don't get caught up in the weeds of this smaller plot, but you serve the king in this larger plot and people see the Holy Spirit within you and then they'll turn their hearts to God and when they turn their hearts to God, that's the only time the world is ever gonna be changed. Not by some of our humanistic effort. Make sense? Wowza, what a story. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for once again showing us that behind the plot that is so amplified in our face, there is this other greater plot. And you're behind it. You truly are the authority of heaven and earth. As we enter into a political year, uh, a politically electric year, God, help us to keep the plumb line of what's important. We pray for Republicans and Democrats, for Libertarians. We pray for those of every political office, God. And we pray that you'll reveal yourself to them. We pray they'll be on their knees. We pray you'll protect them even if they have a polar opposite view of what we do. We pray you'll protect them. We pray, God, that you would allow those who are on their knees and Christ followers not to be ashamed or silent. We pray, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit of God to move in the, in the government of the United States, whether that is in the White House or the Senate or the House of Representatives or the, the Supreme Court justices or the governors of every state or the, the, the local municipalities. God, we pray as we're commanded to pray that you're, the Spirit of God would not release this country but hold us God in your hands and for us as citizens of this country remind us that we are citizens of heaven first help us to be peaceable to be honorable and with a clean conscience God a godly conscience be able to approach others in the spirit of Christ and voice our opinions in the spirit of Christ, slandering no one. It's difficult, God, as you know. You know about us. Father, we pray, God, in our own lives, in our own families, in our own households, God, that Christ will be the authority and our children and parents and grandparents. If we live alone, if we we have extended family, God, that Christ would be shown as the boss, the authority. 
So Father, we surrender ourselves to you. I wonder if there are those, God, who've come today that didn't know in church we could talk about such things, but this is real life. Didn't know that, that a church could love people of different beliefs, whether they be Democrats, Republicans, whether they be Muslims, whether they be those who speak against us, whether they be our neighbors, whether they be LGBTQ community, whether they be uh, those who uh, would oppose uh, Christianity, whether they be atheists, wh wh whoever they are, God, you've told us you love the world, not just part of it. So for those who've come, I pray, God, that you'll, they'll understand that these are real conversations from a real God with real love. And to be part of that kingdom is not, does not come through religion, but through relationship. So Father, we pray for those who are searching today for you, because you've been searching for them. Perhaps this is the day that they would come and say, Christ, I want a new life. I don't want religion, I want you. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe you've come to this place today looking for God. He's looking for you. He's waiting for you. He came to this world to die for you, to bridge a gap that we had created, all of us. To say, if you come to me and just say, God, I want a new life. Here's my life, the one I'm driving. I want to exchange it for the one that you give. I come to the end of myself and ask for forgiveness from Christ who died on the cross, who spilt his blood for the forgiveness of the whole world. And I want you to ignite God in me some new life. Maybe that's your prayer today. Father, thank you for being the master of the plot, the writer of this novel. We bow to you, God. You have no rival. You have no equal. And we worship you.